Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. Finally, it's time for the NFL Draft. Put your pencils down and stop with the mock drafts. The three-day draft kicks off Thursday night with the first round. Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence is expected to be the number one overall pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars. What will New York's teams do with their first round selections? The New York Jets have two picks in the first round at number two and 23. The New York Giants pick 11th and the Buffalo Bills have the 30th pick. Of course, that is all subject to change. On this podcast, I'll talk to Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News about the Giants and John Warrow of the Associated Press about the Bills. First up is the Jets. They traded quarterback Sam Darnold to Carolina, and that signaled that they are going to draft a quarterback with their first-round selection. The speculation is it will be BYU's Zach Wilson. Dennis Wazak Jr., who covers the Jets for the Associated Press, joins me to talk about that. Well, Dennis, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I was going to have you on back uh, when the Jets made the trade of uh, Sam Darnold, but I thought I'd wait because obviously it affected uh, the draft situation because it looks like the Jets are going to pick a quarterback at number two. Yeah, I, I would say that would be a uh, a good bet to uh, for the Jets to take uh, a quarterback, and it looks uh, by all accounts, by all uh, indications that it'll be Zach Wilson from BYU. Uh, the Jets have made no secret as to their, uh, you know, they they are impressed by him. Uh, I think they they do like Justin Fields out of Ohio State as well. Um, but once the trade was made of Sam Darnold, it cleared the way for any any kind of move that the Jets might have, you know, wanted to make at quarterback in terms of bringing in a, a kid from the draft. And I, and I think Zach Wilson's pro day at BYU was a major factor in, in clearing the way for that because they saw, and it was Joe Douglas, the GM, Robert Sala, the, co- the head coach, and Mike LaFleur, the offensive coordinator, they were all there in person. And I think it, it kind of uh, – just cemented their feelings it, it, it as far as Zach Wilson and they wanted to see him and see see him in person you know and, and I think once that happened I think they knew they were moving on from Donald but that just kind of sealed the deal so uh at number two the Jets will go after another quarterback and uh it's been a long uh search for the next Joe Namath and uh He's, Zach Wilson will have a lot on his shoulders coming in. The, the Jets thought they got it right with Darnold just three years ago, and it, and it wasn't right. And Jets fans have been really waiting for that quarterback uh, since Namath to, to have that sustained success and to, to rise to be a star. They've had some guys who have kind of had short-term success, but the, the franchise is, is just hunger. There's just a thirst, a hunger, uh, 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 just the frustration. You know, they, they want somebody who can come in and be that guy. Yeah, because uh, I'm looking at your story that we ran in uh, Saturday's Gazette. Uh, you're talking about the fact they're looking to hope to earn that in, in that search for the for the franchise quarterback. What do they see in Zach Wilson that has them excited? 
it's his accuracy. He's got tremendous accuracy. He's he's really good. Tight windows. He could throw the ball, uh, which is is nice to see from a young quarterback. Uh, his ability to create plays in space, and you know, and and with his feet, and to work off the play action, and I think a lot of that is connected to the offensive scheme that the Jets will run under Mike LaFleur, which is a Shanahan-type system, and it's a system that, that really is is powered by those specific skills. And I think they think that Zach Wilson can come in and and do okay and do well with, with that system, that he's kind of a, a plug-in guy who can, can really just, from day one develop and thrive in that type of system. And I think, again, I mentioned Justin Fields before. I think he's also a similar type quarterback. Um, and we've heard a lot about Justin Fields' legs, you know, that, that he can make plays with his legs and with his arm. And I think Zach Wilson, there's something, you know, that they're similar in that sense. But the accuracy of Zach Wilson, and I think really there's there's a little bit of a leap of faith by the Jets if they do indeed take Zach Wilson because of the uh, lack of experience against big opponents. But I think they like what they see, the the, uh, the projections of Zach Wilson and how he can go in there and run that offense and be accurate and be a playmaker and get the ball down the field. And, and I think the ease at which he was throwing the ball, you know, and just and, and really making plays from all different arm angles it's hard to not make the Patrick Mahomes comparison, you know, and, and hopefully for the Jets that he could turn into that type of player. But I think that's what they see in him. They see a playmaker. They see a guy who can um, make plays in the system, but also make plays, you know, just kind of make plays out of nothing. And I, I think that excites them. And they really haven't had that. And Sam Darnold had, had spurts of that. You saw flashes of that. But in Adam Gase's offense, he couldn't really do all that. So um, that those are the things that excite the, the uh, Jets about Zach Wilson, who's had really from this time last year to now, he's just risen really from out of nowhere. Um, you know, maybe some people had heard it, and after the season that he had with 33 touchdown passes and three interceptions and almost 3,700 yards, how quickly he rose up the, the draft charts. And here he is. He, likely the number two overall pick how important is it for joe douglas the general manager to get this right uh and not have to worry about uh franchise quarterback for the next 10 to 15 years oh this is this is a a franchise defining and career defining move uh and decision for joe douglas because the first part of it was cutting ties with Sam Darnold because that was a major step into this next step because if Joe Douglas had kept Sam Darnold he would have had to trust in Darnold's ability to progress to the point that in year four he's a very good quarterback and then by year five that he's an excellent quarterback and I just don't know that they felt Darnold would be that type of player. Um, when you're looking at with Darnold's contract and uh, the fifth-year option that would have been fully guaranteed uh, for next year in his fifth year at $19 million, that 
that was a financial risk that they'd have to take and, and believe in. And if Darnold did not progress in that way, well, at this time next year, but you know the the pressure is tremendous on both of those guys. Um, not so much on the coach. It would be Joe Douglas and Sam Darnold. So now with Darnold, with uh, Douglas did by trading Sam Darnold. He pushed the reset button, and that's a phrase we've heard a lot during this offseason with the Jets uh, since Sam Darnold was traded. But it, it it reset the button. It reset everything on the financial impact, and it, it buys the franchise and, and Douglas a few years where you don't need him, uh, Zach Wilson, to come in and be a superstar right away. You, you have a couple of years where you want to see that steady impact, you know, and that steady improvement. Um, and it's just that now Douglas will be tied directly to this new quarterback. So however, Zach Wilson, as we think it'll be, however he goes over the next three years, that's how Douglas will go. And really ultimately the franchise will go and, if they are wrong with this pick, well, in three years, Ken, we'll be talking about the same things here. But with a new coach, maybe, definitely a new GM and a new quarterback. Yeah, as you read in your story, uh, Dennis, that uh, the number two pick has not been a, a good pick for the Jets. Uh, 1980, Johnny Lamb Jones uh, was a great wide receiver in college, but never you know, translated that to the pros. And then 10 years later, uh, uh, Blair Thomas out of Penn State running back was a great there, but injuries, inconsistency, and that that didn't work either. So uh, could the third time be a charm for the Jets? Yeah, yeah. they, they better hope it is, you know, because uh, I think uh, with this, it's just been a weird year, a weird offseason because of, of uh, the pandemic, obviously, and um, without the ability for teams to go to the combine to see players and without the ability to to have players in, personally it's just a it's a different experience for for players and for teams and um you know they they have to go based on uh projections and what they think these players will do and and i mean that that's part of it every year anyway because it's it really is such a crapshoot with uh with the draft but at number two you are making a decision especially when you're taking a quarterback that will affect the franchise for years to come because if you're wrong at quarterback that high well you'll set your franchise back i mean we've been over this over and over you know with the jets and the fans are so frustrated because you thought you had something with mark sanchez in you know 2000 uh 2009 and you thought you had something maybe with geno smith you know an electric player who with a big arm who could come in and that didn't work and then you thought you had with uh, Sam Darnold, and, and he really had showed some signs too, but just never took off. So I think Jets fans are cautiously optimistic because they've been through this so many times before. But at number two, you really have to hit on this guy. And the Jets are fortunate that just three years after taking picking third overall in the draft, they're picking second overall in the draft. But that also tells you that in these three years, they have not been a very good team either. So that shows how important that that pick is. Uh, For Zach Wilson coming 
to a major market like New York out of you know playing after playing in Provo, Utah. The expectations obviously are going to be high with him. How important is it going to, for him to be able to handle the pressure of the media, of the fans, and not you know try to do too much and then really you know get into a spiral? Yeah, I think that's an important point uh, because coming into New York and playing uh, for a, a either franchise, the Jets or Giants, or or any being a star uh, in this city and you know in this area, it's it's important to try to continue to be yourself. And I know that sounds corny and cheesy, but but really, I think for all of his flaws on the field, I think Sam Darnold was terrific in how he handled everything off the field. He It was never about pointing fingers. Uh, his frustration, um, he kept it at a minimum in the public eye. Um, I, I really, I, I think he handled things right. And, and he was so sharp when he was dealing with the media. I, and I think uh, for, you know, whatever reason it just didn't work out you know there are lots of reasons it didn't work out whether it was personally uh his mechanics and the system under gaze and all that but he was really able to really be a, a good presence in, in the locker room in front of the camera with the media with his teammates and and i think that would be a good uh you know, model for Zach Wilson to follow. I think he has, he's has, he has a close relationship with Steve Young with the BYU connection. And I think Steve Young, who's in the media now, can, can really help him in that aspect because Steve Young is a Hall of Famer. He's dealt with, with high profile situations. He's won Super Bowl. I, I, I think he just needs to, to just kind of maintain what he is and who he is now. He's a confident kid. So I think that right off the bat will help him, but he can't go too overboard because if he struggles, then the media backlash will happen, the fan backlash. So so there, there's a line that he needs to kind of toe, but it's good that he's confident. So, you know, he's coming in here. He, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Baker Mayfield coming in. Now, Mayfield was, was supremely confident and cocky, some would say, yeah. but he's – but Zach Wilson has some of that in him, you know, and, and I think you have to have that to be the type of player he is, a gunslinger who takes some chances and, and that kind of thing. So, so you kind of like that. Now, if you succeed, you're, you're a superstar, you know, because people will like that, you know, and people like Brett Favre, you know, when, when he was, uh, you know, slinging the ball all over the place and he had kind of that edge to him and that kind of thing. So, so that, that all of that is the, the whole package that, that Zach Wilson has to, kind of come in but um you know it just kind of remember that you can't go against the fans you can't go against the media you just kind of have to just kind of feel your way especially in that first year because uh you don't want that aspect to backfire there's enough pressure you don't need that outside pressure to kind of um you know invade all that you you just want to focus on the football and and really like i said going back to darnold that's really what he did when he came to the Jets, and it was impressive. Who's to blame for Sam Darnold not working out in New York? I would say there's there's a lot of blame to pass around, and I think Darnold is not uh, absent of blame. I think there were things with his game that just didn't elevate, and I think, unfortunately for him, 
he had a few factors that were involved also. I mean, he had, you know, the mono uh, in his second year. He had the shoulder injury. Um, you know, he, he's had he's had things that have happened to him health-wise that didn't help because he didn't he wasn't able to have um, consistency on the field as well. You know, and and uh, his his mechanics changed i think you saw certain things that were going on i I think when you look at him play he was so effective when the jets were running the two-minute offense and and just like you know get out there and make plays and i think that was really a factor because adam gase um had such a scripted offense that it didn't allow sam darnold to really take advantage of those natural skills um, they would come through every now and then, but I think um, I, I think Adam Gase was trying to cut down on mistakes, but in that he was also kind of holding Sam Darnold back and and what he could do. So I think those they both take blame. I think that uh, Gase did not use him correctly. I think he might, if he looked at it now, he would change some things in the way he was managing the offense with with Darnold and also Joe Douglas takes some blame too because he didn't surround him with enough players I mean he promised his parents after Darnold's second season that hey you know we're 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 going to to help your son we're we're going to put talent around him and make sure he's got playmakers and people protecting him and and that didn't really play out not the way it did in in uh, season three last year and uh you know, so I think there there are a few people at fault there. And the most important thing is that Joe Douglas needs to learn from that uh, mistake. And if it's Zach Wilson, he needs to surround Zach Wilson immediately with playmakers on offense and guys on the offensive line who could protect him. He needs to take that. And, and I think what they're going to do is draft a quarterback in Zach Wilson who fits immediately into the offensive scheme. There won't be a lot of tinkering with trying to, to fit the player into the scheme or the scheme to the player. I think there, there's a natural fit, and I think that's why a lot of the Jets are excited about that because um, they, they know the talent that they're getting and the type of skill set that will fit in that offense. Of course, a lot of the uh, attention has been on that number two pick, but the Jets also have the 23rd pick in the first round, which they acquired from Seattle in the uh, Jamal Adams trade. What are the Jets looking at at number 23? Well, I think that's that's even more intriguing because you know they're taking a quarterback, and it's most likely Wilson at number two. But at number 23, there's all kinds of things because the Jets need a lot. You know, they need a cornerback. They need offensive line depth or, or even somebody who could start. They need another wide receiver, running back, uh, an edge rusher. So there are lots of guys who are out there uh, who could be available at that number 23 spot if the Jets stay. I could see them trying to to, to go up maybe and getting a wide receiver or uh, one of the top cornerbacks. But even if they do stay at number 23, there there is – Several guys, Greg Newsom from Northwestern, uh, Tyson Campbell uh, from Georgia, and even Caleb Farley from Georgia Tech, from Virginia Tech, who um, has a lot of medical uh, red flags because he's had two back surgeries. But um, and, and he also uh, tested positive for COVID, so he's he's just he's had a bad stretch. But 
I think without the uh, the back issues, he would be the number one cornerback in this draft. It's just that teams are wary of him. But that's a guy who, if healthy, would come in and, and be a starter for the Jets at cornerback. Um, I, I don't know if Joe Douglas and the Jets would roll the dice on a guy with such a, a, a sketchy medical history um, because you know, they, need, they need players who can come in and contribute. They've, they've had some guys over the past few years who have come off injuries that they've tried to work in. Um, Bryce Hall, one of their cornerbacks from uh, last year's draft, uh, was a similar situation where they knew he was hurt in college and they drafted him, but he wasn't expected to come in and start right away. I think at number 23, they need someone like that. And really, if you look at the offensive line, if – and Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, a guy who played left tackle last season, if they move him over to left guard, I mean, that, that's all of a sudden you have Makai Becton at left tackle and Vera Tucker at, at left guard, and you have a left side of the offensive line that's young and two guys who are highly uh, you know, skilled, and they'll be there for several years. I think Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State, an offensive line. Ben Cleveland from Georgia, another guard. Those are guys. But but then the Jets need some some pass rushing, like I mentioned. And um, Gregory Gregory Rousseau from Miami is, is an option. So I think they have the ability to at number twenty three. And you hear this all the time: best player available. Well, I think they really can do that. Whoever is on their board at the top. At number 23, they could just take him. And because they, like I said, they need so much. If it's if it's a cornerback, if it's an offensive lineman, if it's an outside linebacker, um, it'll be intriguing, though, if a couple of running backs are there. If Najee Harris from Alabama is there, it, it will be really tough for them to pass that up because uh, they need a running back also. They, they signed Tevin Coleman in free agency, and they have LaMichael Pirine, who they drafted last year, but... Uh, like a Najee Harris would would be an instant spark in that offense, and you you all of a sudden you have Zach Wilson and Najee Harris added to that offense. It's like whoa, they, they might be able to do some things here. And paired with uh, uh, the wide receivers that they already have, it's like okay, you know, they they're looking at at least building that offense. So there are so many ways to go, and it'll be really like I said, intriguing to see what happens and if the Jets really do stick at number 23 or, or try to move up and get even one of the uh, the, the more uh, touted guys. I'll put you on the spot here. You're Joe Douglas. Who are you picking at number 23? If he's there, I'm taking Vera Tucker from USC because I, I, I like the idea of having that left side um, really locked down for years to come with two big, you know, young guys who, who have done it in college and uh, – um, I, I think that would excite me. It might not excite the fans as much, but um, you know we've seen that that inconsistent and at, at times bad offensive line play does not help. You know, it hurts the the team and hurts the quarterback. And I think you know, in your earlier question about uh, blame uh, for Darnold, I think that's also another factor. You know, the offensive line was so inconsistent and up and down and. You really need to have, uh, when you have a young quarterback, you have to know that the guys in front 
are working together and and that they're a solid unit and if you could really have a few pieces that are are ready to go for the next few years and and take a guy at that pick like vera tucker at number 23 well now you know at least you know two-fifths and maybe three-fifths with the center connor mcgovern you have you have three guys who will be there a while and you can move forward so that that would be my pick if i was joe douglas where can people find you again on Twitter, Dennis? Uh, at DWAZ, D-W-A-Z, 73. Uh, and, uh, and also, you can go to APnews.com, and uh, the uh, you can find, do a search for the Jets, and all of the uh, Jets info is on there as well. Well, I know you'll be busy Thursday night with that uh, two first-round <laughs> picks. And it yeah. should be a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate a few minutes once again, and uh, we'll talk as we get closer to the season. That sounds good, Ken. Anytime. Really appreciate right, it. That's Dennis Wazak Jr. coming up. We'll talk about the other team that occupies MetLife Stadium, the New York Giants. Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News joins me next here on the Parting Shots Podcast. It's been a trying year for parents. They've been confronted with countless challenges and have always risen to the occasion. If it isn't too much to ask... The 370,000 high school student athletes in New York have one last request. Please set an example. Disorderly fan conduct at high school athletic events is on the rise. It increasingly involves parents. There's no question that parents are passionate. There's no question they care about their children. But at a time when we're all wound a little more tightly than usual, It's worth remembering this about New York high school sports. Always be a good example. Stop unruly fan behavior before it starts. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. What's going on, everybody? My name is Freddie Coleman, host of ESPN Radio's Freddie and Fitzsimmons, and you're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. Now it's on to the Giants. Who will they pick at number 11? Pat Leonard, Giants beat writer for the New York Daily News, joins me now to talk about that. Well, Pat, welcome back to the podcast. I hope uh, you've been very busy getting ready for this draft. Uh, What are you expecting for the Giants at number 11 uh, as they get ready for that number one pick Thursday? Hey, Ken, thanks for having me. You know, I think the Giants have, they have to have a lot of options or, you know, even if they have it narrowed down, they need it narrowed down to a group of, you know, four or five, six players, whatever it is, because they have to be prepared that the board in front of them might go uh, differently than what they expect. They certainly are used to in the last few years picking higher than this and having a little bit more certainty of who's going to be available which can help you narrow it down even further. Uh, so they do have to keep their options open. I do think a wide receiver, one of the Alabama wide receivers, are not only possibly likely to fall there, at least one of them, but also are strong candidates for the Giants to draft. I think they also like some defensive players. You know, Micah Parsons is a player who Joe Judge went to see in person at Penn State. Um, they like the linebacker. They like him as a pass rusher as well. And the corners are also intriguing prospects, too. Uh, Patrick Sertain from Alabama, J.C. Horn from South Carolina. When I talk to people in the league, I think it almost seems like a near consensus 
that Sertain is viewed as uh, the more polished prospect, but that Horn has a higher ceiling and upside. Uh, so if, if you said both of them were on the board there, who would they take? You know, I would guess Horn. I think that might be how every team feels right now. Uh, when I put up my mock draft out on the Daily News website on Thursday morning, uh, at least at this moment, I will have J.C. Horn being drafted ahead of Sertain. But to answer your initial question, you know, I think wide receiver, you know, linebacker slash pass rusher and corner are all places the Giants are looking. Yeah, Peter King uh, wrote uh, in the Pro Football Talk on Monday that there's some, I wouldn't say it, maybe just a good disagreement between uh, who the Giants are going to pick. Uh, he, he, said, he said he heard Joe Judge loves Devontae Smith. The organization likes uh, J.C. Horn and Gettleman loves Parsons. And he's uh, he has in his mock draft, he has Parsons uh, being picked by the Giants. Uh, if if whoever's picked at that uh, at that number eleven spot, do we know at that point who's actually running this team? That's a great question. Uh, first, I would say th- that's an interest- that was an interesting report because I read I read Peter's story- article every week, and I read all these mocks and all the lead national writers. And his mock draft that was the only team where he pitted the coach and the GM against each other, essentially having two different preferences. Now he's just telling us what he hears and, you know, Peter's the gold standard, but I found it very interesting that it was pointed out directly that the coach and the general manager liked different players. Um, and also that he had the GM's player going above the coaches. You know, I think there's certainly two something to your suggestion and question there about if that's really the case and both of those players are still on the board, then that does open us up to finding out who really is wielding the power there. I can tell you this, and I, this is no secret that, you know, I was reporting this last year, a, a year ago during the first draft together. Joe Judge is much more involved in the draft and player selection process than previous head coaches. You know, I'm mainly talking about Pat Shermer there, of course, because he was the coach with Dave Gettleman uh, prior to Judge. But Judge is involved in the evaluation process, in the selection process. Of course, Dave Gettleman is the general manager. But this is a collaborative effort that the coach has a lot of say in. And Gettleman actually has publicly said since, and even as recently as last week leading up to this draft, that he takes a lot of direction and and, uh, solicits a lot of feedback from this coaching staff and that he wants to provide players for these coaches that they feel fits them best. So you could view that as a GM just placating the coaching staff publicly, but I think based on what I understand of how they're operating right now, I view that as Gettleman saying, you know, I'm not taking a player just because I like him if the coaches think someone else fits them better. Now, that said, both of the players, or all three players you just mentioned, you know, in that report, Joe Judge loves Devontae Smith, J.C. Horn, the organization loves, and Parsons, the Gettleman loves. All three of those players are players that the Giants like. So that that's accurate. You know, those are three of the guys I just mentioned to you. But I think it's also a little bit misleading, number one, that – Smith is mentioned there and not Jalen Waddell because I'm not just talking about the Giants now. I'm talking about every team at the top of the draft. If you ask them which receiver they like, Waddell or Smith, a lot of their answer is yes. <laughs> In other words, whichever one of them were available to us, we love the guy. You know, they're both special players. So 
you know, I think it's a bit disingenuous to list just one receiver there when they're both special guys. That could be connected to the fact that Waddle is expected to go above Smith, and so maybe they don't expect Waddle to be there, and they do expect they do expect Smith to fall. That could be part of it, um, you know. But the bottom line too is this: it's also a bit disingenuous to characterize it as Dave Gettleman loves Micah Parsons and Joe Judge doesn't. Because now I'm not even just talking about Joe Judge; I'm talking about coaches and, and scouts I've talked to around the league. You can say you, you're scared about some of the immaturity issues with Parsons or whatever, but it's you'll be hard-pressed to talk to somebody in the NFL who doesn't think Parsons is a stud player. <laughs> so I don't think it's fair to look at that and say, you know, Judge doesn't see Parsons to be a fit. And I also think, don't think it's fair to say Dave Gettleman doesn't see Dave, Devontae Smith to be a fit. I think the Giants front office likes those players both. Um, and I, uh, frankly, Ken, I wouldn't be surprised if when we get to the 11th overall pick, it comes down to, you know, Devontae Smith, Micah Parsons, and say, maybe not Horn. It might be Patrick Sertain still on the board there at the corner. You might even have Rayshon Slater from Northwestern still there, depending on how the board falls and how many quarterbacks go ahead. Uh, but at least at this moment, I don't think the Giants will go a line. I think the decision would be at that point, between the receiver and Parsons. Looking at the draft order, it, it, Dallas is at 10, the Giants 11, the Eagles at 12. Thanks to the yeah. way the Of course, the Eagles traded down out of the sixth pick. Uh, could, could we see some dominoes fall if Dallas picks a certain player where the Giants may decide to trade down? and uh, Or how, how do you think that's going to pan out, those three NFC East teams picking back-to-back-to-back? The Cowboys pick doesn't feel like it's going to be a threat to what the Giants want to do uh, because it looks like they're going to go either corner or offensive line. And most likely that will mean either J.C. Horn slash Patrick Sertain or uh, Rayshon Slater from Northwestern, assuming Penny Sewell is the first offensive lineman off the board, which is what most believe. And if that's the case, yes, they, the Giants do like the corners. But if that's the case, that still likely leaves one of the Bama receivers, Parsons, and one of the corners on the board when the Giants pick. And maybe even Slater to award both of the corners. Now, you know, what we're talking about, too, is not knowing exactly how it's going to fall, especially, not just the top ten, but especially at the picks of the Miami at six, Detroit at seven, and Carolina at eight, and then Denver at nine. You know, they're, they're a wild card, say, to take a, like a guy like Parsons. The Lions could be a team that does that, too. But so many players are falling down the board here with the way the quarterbacks are going up top. And not to mention, the Lions are a candidate to trade out of the seventh pick. I've, I've had pe- multiple people tell me that they really want to trade out of that pick. Um, so, you know, that's all going to dictate what happens. But for the Giants' sake, I don't think the Cowboys um, impact their pick too much. The Eagles, of course, have put themselves in a position where they're at the mercy of what happens with the Giants and Cowboys. But frankly, if this board falls the way I think it will at this moment, I think the second corner of those top two might still be there for them to take. And I think that would be a good pick for them. You know, and I think it might be certain, honestly, based on how much respect there is for Horn's abilities and his ceiling. 
uh, you know, we'll have to see. Every team will have its own secret preference of which guy they like. But that that's where I'm leaning right now on how it might fall. I think the, I think the Eagles might end up with one of the top two corners. Yeah, well, I don't trust Ty, so he, he might screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to focusing on the Giants here. Uh, you wrote an article about uh, Dave Gettleman about he does not, he's never traded uh, back in the NFL draft because he doesn't want to get fleeced. Why, why do you think he is, is really intent on staying where he's at and not trading down? Well, you know, I think, I think his foundation as a GM and as, a, as an NFL lifer is as a scout. And he's a lifelong scout who trusts his eyes. He trusts his own evaluation of players. And I think not just Dave, but people who have come up that way and have been that, um, have that much experience in that specific area of the league. And that's what they've done. I think that when you have hold a draft pick and you watch the film of all these guys and you do these endless amounts of discussions and reports Sometimes you can end up being the type of personality who you're just confident in your ability to see which players are the studs and which players aren't. And I think in Dave's case, I think that's how he feels. I think he feels like I've done this forever. I know what I'm doing. I look at this guy and I see a football player who's going to make our team better rather than trade out and play the averages, play the odds, um, you know, get into the idea of what's more valuable, these three picks or these two picks or the one I hold now. He's simply conservative and wants to stay and pick the guy that he feels he's put in all the work and his experience into evaluating as a top player. Now, of course, you know, he may never live down this kind of attitude, especially when it connects to drafting Saquon Barkley second overall a few years ago when it appeared he could have easily picked up the phone when he was on the clock and slid back three or four spots and still gotten either Bradley Chubb, the pass rusher, or Quentin Nelson from the uh, University of Notre Dame to help the offensive line. And, uh, you know, I remember definitively at the moment uh, that the Giants came on the clock after the Baker Mayfield pick, Gentlemen, basically, they, nobody answered. He instructed everybody in the Giants' room, we're not taking calls. We're not making calls. We're making the pick, and you know that kind of that kind of attitude toward the draft and draft value and positional value is just not the way to do it. And that's not my opinion. I think that's the that's the opinion of people who know how to navigate the draft well. So I think you really do have to balance your experience as a scout and as an evaluator with you know how do we manage this for not only sustainability but how do we manage to draft in an optimal way? And when he says he's afraid of getting fleeced or he doesn't want to get fleeced, well, you know, plenty of the teams that who draft best, who are the gold standards of how to draft, teams like the Ravens, um, teams like the Patriots, even though the Patriots miss on a lot of their evaluations, these teams all recognize, and this is a, a, a story that I've been kind of harping on a lot over the last few months and, a, and a, or a theme I should say the teams who draft the best are humble enough to know that they're not great at it that everybody misses and so what they try to do is they try to marry their evaluations and the players they like 
with the inherent risk in making a pick. And so they try to acquire more picks. Mm-hmm. So the Baltimore Ravens, yeah, they had to trade Orlando Brown, basically. But they just kicked up their draft capital, I think, from six to nine. And now they have two first-rounders. And now they're already taking calls to try and trade one of those first-rounders back. And they'll probably add two or three more picks on that and get back into the second round. And the idea is just to get more picks at the can because that's how you land players in this league. And I'm not talking about star players necessarily. I'm talking about contributors who helped build depth on a roster where you can compete. So that's a long way of answering your question on, you know, Dave Gettleman, by his nature, does would rather not trade back. Often in the draft, it's the way to go. Um, you know, the, the one qualifier I would add to this, though, Ken, is that this year, a lot of teams, or I, I shouldn't say a lot, I should say several teams, some I've talked to, others that have said this out loud, including the Panthers, really don't have more than 16, 15, 17, 18 players with first-round grades on their board right now. And there's 32 picks in the first round. Mm -hmm. So even though trading back, as in theory, is an intelligent move if it works out for you and if the value isn't there at your pick, you might see fewer trades at the top of the first round than maybe we expected, and I'm talking about trades back, because a lot of teams look at this as well, there's only so many guys we consider as sure things worth this value, so we might as well just stay and pick. So you might see more trades at the back of the first round, the teams trying to get out and get more picks, than you'll see up top. How important is this draft for Gettleman's future as a general manager? It means everything, but I think what means whatever, what means the most is simply, you know, in the first eight games of this season, does Daniel Jones look any better than he did last year? And does the offense score points? And do they win games because of Jones and their offense? I think that defines it. Um, I do think, though, that that connects to this draft and why drafting one of the Alabama receivers at 11 would make so much sense. Yeah, they signed, you know, Kenny Galladay. Does that mean they can't get any better at receiver? No, I wouldn't say that. You know, it's the same way as like, they ended up taking one of the corners. People would say, well, they gave Adoree Jackson money. Okay, Well, when they play the Dallas Cowboys in week one and Cowboys go 11 personnel with Gallup, Cooper, and C.D. Lamb, who are the three corners covering them? You tell me. You know, and so when you you look at these things, their free agency, they did fill some needs to give them the luxury of going every which way in this draft. But that does not preclude them from addressing these needs. And because Gettleman's... Uh, legacy is on the line and his job is on the line. And of course, I've made the argument it should have already uh, cost him how he's mad as the last several years. But certainly this year, it's just, it's win or bust, it's score points or bust, it's hit on more draft picks to bust. It's it's all on the table for Dave Gellman right now. Okay. All right. The Giants have the 11th pick. You're being called up. You're, you're the man picking the, the, the uh, making the selection. Who are the Giants picking at number 11? Uh, I think Devontae Smith, University of Alabama wide receiver. Um, you know, I'm, I'm making that pick now, assuming the board falls the way I think it will, which is that Waddle would go ahead of him and uh, that we're going to see enough quarterbacks go up front that he'll be there. Now, that said, you know, Parsons is going to be in the mix there too. 
like I said, he could go off the board at seven and not even be an option. Um, you know, a corner is an option there too. Um, you know, they 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 need pass rush help. You know, if they don't take a pass rusher or a guy like Parsons at eleven, they're going to take one high in this draft. Or they're going to take one in this draft, I should say. They're going to address their offensive line. So those are all areas that they need to address and bolster and reinforce. Uh, so it could be Waddle, it could be Smith, it could be Parsons. You know, it could be uh, another pass rusher who comes out of the comes out of the uh, woodwork. It could be a corner. Uh, based on how the board might fall, though, um, you know, I would say Devontae Smith to you right now. That said, Ken, I, I'm looking around right now at all these mock drafts, and they're start they're starting to look the same. And you know what that means is that everybody's wrong. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to make you know, a mockery I, of the mock draft. <laughs> yeah, when I when I start seeing people's mocks start to align three days before the draft, I say uh, none of us know anything. This is gonna this is gonna be horrible. So <laughs> you know we'll we'll see. All right, your coverage start. Well, obviously you're going on, but what about what are your plans Thursday night for on the social media? So I will be on Twitter at p leonard nydn. Um, on Instagram at Pat Leonard underscore NFL. I'll be live tweeting the draft on Twitter. That's where I would report if I hear that the Giants, who they're going to pick. That's where I'll be uh, commenting, posting stories. I'll be doing that on Instagram as well. Um, I don't have a defined time for it yet, but maybe in the lead up to the draft or right after the first round or Friday morning, Look for me to do some sort of Instagram lives, uh, you know, Q&A, maybe a Q&A prior to the first round on Thursday on Twitter, you know, something to interact and give people an idea of how I'm feeling and give them some time to vent and get out their nervous energy before we all sit down and watch the draft. But, yeah, find me on those two feeds and at nydailynews.com slash sports. That's where all our coverage will be uh, for both the Giants and the Jets as the Jets have two firsts as well. Yeah. And uh, DJ, the enemy, um, is covering the Jets for us now. He's doing a great job. And he will be producing some interesting Zach Wilson and Jets content. So keep an eye on that as well. Well, Pat, as always, appreciate your time and uh, have some fun this weekend. And uh, we'll talk closer as we get closer to the season. You got it, Ken. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you, Pat. Up next, we'll talk about the Buffalo Bills with John Warrow of the Associated Press. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, 
They answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you, be well, and please keep reading. Hi, I'm Dean Cavillia, manager of the Tri-City Valley Cats and former Major League Baseball player. You're listening to the Parting Shot Podcast with Daily Gazette, Associate Sports Editor and Upstate New York's biggest Philadelphia Phillies fan, Ken Shot. Welcome back. The Buffalo Bills are in an unusual spot in this year's draft. The Bills, who won the AFC East and reached the AFC Championship game, are set to pick 30th in the first round. I spoke to John Warrow of the Associated Press about the Bills, and we did talk about some Buffalo Sabres at the end. John, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Hope things are well up in uh, western New York. Well, it's not snowing, so yeah, I mean, that's always a positive. <laughs> that's good. Well, the Bills, um, you know, they're coming off the, making the AFC Championship game, winning the AFC East uh, uh, last year. You're going to be at the 30th pick in the first round Thursday night. What, what do you expect out of them? They really want to address their defense um, because their, their offense really is sound, even though there is... You know, General Manager Brandon Bean did raise uh, some eyebrows when he referred, when he assessed his two running backs as not being home run hitters, which obviously caused the craze towards um, Etienne and um, the uh, uh, the LSU running back uh, Harris, I believe, uh, which uh, gave rise to people speculating that maybe the Bills will go running back at 30. But in the big picture, this team, if this team is going to compete against Kansas City, which now seems to be the roadblock uh, in the AFC, then it's. I think it's going to need better defense. Uh, they've got enough offense, but their defense has showed has proved lacking in the two games against the Chiefs last year, including the AFC Championship game. So they need an, they need a pass rush. They need younger pass rushers because they're um, they're two guys. Um, Clinton Jefferson and uh, uh, oh my gosh, um, and, and well, the, the two pass rushers are getting old, and uh, it's Trent uh, Jerry Hughes. I'm sorry, that's who it was. They're getting old, and I think they need to address that because that's the best way to attack Mahomes to get him off the spot, which is what you know Tampa Tampa Bay did in the Super Bowl. Uh, to, to win that game, so you know a, a corner, a cornerback, not quarterback, a cornerback would be uh, not a bad option because they're still looking, searching for that guy to be the regular starter opposite Tre'Davious White. But I think defense, but you know the buzz around here because it's the sexy pick and its offense is is running back. But um, at this time of year, I just 
doubt all the speculation. It seems like a smokescreen. Yeah, uh, your colleague Barry Wilner did the um, mock draft for, for the Associated Press. He has uh, he's picking Jameen Davis out of the linebacker out of Kentucky. Yeah, I'm not sure. My, unless unless he winds up being the best player available, I don't know if the Bills go linebacker because they're pretty much set. Uh, unless, well, they're kind of set. They have Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano uh, going to be together for at least one more year. The Bills have a big decision to make uh, um, by Monday as to whether to pick up Tremaine Edmonds' fifth-year option. The same time they have to do for do so for Josh Allen. I do expect them to pick up Allen's fifth-year option. I'm less has I'm less confident they'll do so for Tremaine Edmonds. So linebacker might not be a bad. A bad pick, but their their biggest needs at this point, if they can find, if they can address them, and if the grades their draft board falls the way they hope it does, uh, edge rusher or cornerback. But you know, I think defense is the, is, is the is the is the, is the place they need to address um, the most. Yeah reading, your, yeah, reading your story uh, on the Bills preview that we ran in, in Saturday's Daily Gazette, uh, you met, I mean, you mentioned uh, Mahomes obviously you know run uh, past uh, like crazy in the championship game. Against the Bills, and you mentioned the regular season matchup, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had 161 yards in that regular season matchup, a 26-17 win on October 19th. So, do they have to strengthen the uh, the, the the ground, stopping the run as well? A, a big thing with that is Starlin Tulele opted out due to COVID reasons. He's their he's their big uh, run stuffing defensive tackle, and he's going to be back this year. So that is really not as much a concern um, at, at the defense. He, he's a space eater. He's good against the run. He's going to be back, so that makes the defensive front sturdier against the run, um, which is why I, which is why I still think um, you know edge rusher and cornerback are big uh, are, are bigger needs because Star is coming back, and um, people. It's funny because Bills fans thought star Luke Lotulale was a bust and, and given the size of his contract, I believe he's making something like six million a year when he signed and the stats just never proved it out. But I think Bill's fans were awakened to the value of star of stars presence in the middle, you know, when the team played without him last year, they, they could not, they failed to replace him and they, he, he's, he's, he's a big important factor in that defense. Yeah, in your interview with Brandon Bean, uh, you know, he was quoted as saying, "It's a good problem to to have being draft, uh, drafting thirtieth, and he wishes he was picking thirty-two. That's the goal." Uh, I mean, being down that low in the first round does that lessen the pressure, or maybe amp up the pressure to to get the pick right? Well, uh, if Bean's been very methodical uh, during his four years here, and this this being his now fourth draft because he arrived before the two uh, after the twenty seventeen draft, he's been very methodical. He's been smart. He's he's had some misses in the second and third round, but the importance there is he needs to pick the right value and not just pick for need. He needs to pick what is you know who the best player is on the board at this point because. These are positions that he's looking to fill down the road because now the challenge, as you know, Eagles fans can understand, and, and because I know you are one, you know, after you start winning, players' contracts become more expensive and it gets more difficult to keep players around. So you have to continue restocking the depth positions, which is what New England did so well um, for, for so many years. Um, you 
know, under Belichick and Brady. So that's, I think that's the focus where this team is at right now. They have some glaring needs, but they also need to keep an eye on the future because they can't keep everybody, um, you know, together, especially with Josh Allen going to be commanding a $40 million contract uh, in the next two years. Does Bean have to keep his eye on what the other AFC East teams are doing, especially, you know, the Jets are probably going to end up picking Zach Wilson and the Patriots look like they need a quarterback and uh, the Dolphins, I think, at least have a couple picks in the first round, including the number six pick. I, I, I don't know if he's ever done that. Um, I, I, I do think you, 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 keep, you keep in mind what your opponents are doing, but um, it's a strange position to be in for Bills fans and I guess for Bills general managers uh, uh, to, to be in a position where you are the AFC East champion for the first time in 25 years. So um, <laughs> it's, it's something, it's, it, it's, it's a novel, it's, it's a unique situation that, uh, you know, this town's not been in for quite some time. Um, I think you keep that in mind, but I also think that you need to, um, knowing Dean and, and Coach Sean McDermott, I think they like to keep things, they, they like to find players who are versatile, who can play numerous positions, um, that being the offensive line or linebacker or defensive back. Um, and, and then there's no point being afraid of what the other teams are doing. You want to keep that in mind, but you know, you want to focus on making sure that your attack and your defense um, are, are, are capable of, of defending or competing against what any other opponent can do. And, and, and I think that's been important especially on offense because brian dable the offensive coordinator um he he changes his game plan from week to week so the more versatile and the, the more um dynamic or, or versatile the offense can be the more the more damage it can do is there a chance that uh, bean trades out of the pick and maybe he looks for uh, value down lower in the draft well, I, from from everything that I, I'm no draft pick because you know I, it, it's it's like I leave that to the specialists and, and, and the people, the draft gurus and all that stuff. But I keep reading that this is a, a, a not not a very well stocked draft. I think it's fit on talent, um, so that's why I wouldn't preclude being from giving up some of his later round draft picks to move up in the draft to get a to get a player he, he, he wants, in part because I just don't know how many spots the Bills can fill with their, you know, how many of the seven, seven draft pick, the, the seven players they draft have a chance to make the roster. So if it winds up they draft only five players, I, uh, you know, to, to get more value, uh, to get more quality instead of quantity, I think that, that might not be a bad move depending on what, you know, who's out there and who they target. Um, but who knows? Maybe he, he, he drafts back, which hasn't really been his mo. Um, whether he can get up into the twenties, it's going to take probably uh, two, 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 two picks. So he's he's known for, for he's been known for drafting up. He's never drafted back, so I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah. Is there any other position in the Bills that you th- you think uh, they need to upgrade? China, China. This is the. I mean, it's the, it's. The, Buffalo has been a black hole for tight ends since the inception of time. Um, they really never have been able to address that position, and I don't think they're going to be able to address that in this, in, in this year's draft. They keep drafting tight ends. They, they got Dawson Knox two 
years ago, I believe it was, and he's been serviceable. But there's just, you know, everybody wants that Gronk kind of guy, and uh, the Bills actually passed on Gronk by instead drafting Terrell Troop uh, position one spot ahead of the the Patriots drafting Gronkowski. So um, people always seem to remember that. Uh, of course, you know, guys like Gronkowski are, are not a dime a dozen. Neither like, you know, a guy like Kelsey out of, uh, out of Kansas City. But if they can ever find that guy, um, it really opens up this offense. And they've never been able to find him, you know, before or during Josh Allen's uh, turn. I'm going to put you on the clock here. Brandon, you're Brandon Bean. Who are you picking at number 30? Oh, if, <laughs> if, if Tryon is there, that Joe Tryon, and uh, here's how much, how much I've studied because there is there's so many ways he can go. But everything I've heard about Joe Tryon, who's a Washington, he was an edge rusher out of Washington, um, seems to be... I want to say the safe pick. Um, he's a guy who can get the job done, and uh, at 30th, that is what you're looking for um, you, because you're drafting so low. Uh, you know, I mean, if but if Travis Etienne is there, the running back, why the heck not? Um, given you know what he did um, at Clemson and how he could fit this offense, maybe a more you know adding that extra dimension to the offense might. Um, you know, makes sense in some ways, but so those, I, 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 you had me on the clock. I'm if one if if Etienne is there, I would take him, and then if Tryon or Tryon is there, I'd, I would take him. I'm guessing. Well, I got you on, Jonathan. Uh, obviously, the Buffalo Sabers aren't going to the playoffs again. They made the coaching change what? again. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> How's Don Granada been doing? It seems like the team's it seems like the team's happier. The team is happier, but then again, I mean, um, they could have put. I, I don't know. It's the team is responding to Don Granado, but the, the the big question is, would they respond to anybody who replaced Ralph Kruger, given how he ran that team into the ground with uh, his very closed-minded philosophies? Um, so I. You know, I think there was relief, but I do think Don Granado is having an impact on this team. You just have to listen to him speak, and you know that um, at 53, this guy speaks from experience. He's he's been a head coach at numerous minor league levels, um, worked as a scout. He's done just about everything. Spent five years at the U.S. Develop, developmental program where he worked with guys like Jack Eichel, Austin Matthews, Wierenski, um, Noah Hannafin. He has been around the future of the NHL, um, so he's he's very good. He has his own philosophies. He's not afraid to use them. He's and and he seems to favor a more offensive forechecking transition game that relies on speed and something that this team seems to be made. Uh, built for the best because they've got a lot of youngsters with speed and yet Ralph Kruger couldn't get it out of them because he was more conservative in his, in his approach. So yeah, I, I do think Don Granado has earned himself a, sh- a shot to be the front running, uh, to be among the top two, three candidates for this job. 
And in some ways, you know, maybe the Sabres would be penalizing the players for responding to Don Granado, but not by not hiring Don Granado. So why not just have him because he's got a good pulse of the team? I understand that given the situation that this team has not made the playoffs um, for an NHL record-matching 10th straight season, that you need to overturn every stone to see who is out there and what they can bring. But familiarity, I think, in this case might be the thing that wins out, um, or at least I hope they don't overlook Don Granado just because he's the interim guy, because what he's brought was an unexpected entertaining brand of hockey in a season that's otherwise been a mess. And you don't like uh, breaking my stride, huh, by uh, Matthews? Uh, no, <laughs> no, stop that, stop that, no, no, don't even put that in my head, get shut Explain that. Can you, was that being played at the Sabres game? And you tweeted yeah, that out. It was pre-game. It just popped up, and it's like there are some there are some songs that trigger me, and I just they're, they're, I hear every song. It's like we're walking through a grocery store or whatever, and you know, I'll say, "Oh my gosh, why are they playing this?" And really, my wife will isn't even listening, but it's just I'm so much in the music that these things just trigger me, and it's like when I hear a bad song, it's it's like fingernails on a blackboard. It's like it's for me. It's like it's raining men. <laughs> I don't mind that song. I, I I I will listen to that before the other thing that you mentioned. And before that, I'm, I'm finally I think after 30 years of getting used to it, the, the safety dance, I'm finally. Coming around on the safety dance. Safety dance. I saw the men in, the men in hats in Toronto in concert. Uh, buddy, uh, we, we live right down the street from the Alma Combo, uh, which was a famous rock and roll bar where the Rolling Stones actually uh, recorded a live album. And we just walked, popped in, and the men in hats were playing the main the, the main stage upstairs. And uh, we stuck around. I mean, it was entertaining. They're from Montreal band. and Safety dance. It's safety dance. S-S-S size. A, A, A. It's not my favorite song, but I, I, I will still, I will still take it. I'll still take it over what uh, what, yeah. what that other song was. Right, John. As always, it's entertaining as usual, and uh, appreciate the information. And uh, we'll talk soon. Great stuff. Thanks. Thanks for having me. John Warro, the Associated Press. We're back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Racing uh, Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest. All of us love sports, but not all sports are created equal. College sports have big budgets, dedicated alumni networks, and corporate sponsorships. Professional sports have even deeper pockets. Millionaire owners, lucrative TV and radio deals, and merchandise sales. High school sports have you. Everyone agrees high school sports give us plenty of reasons to cheer. And now's a great time for us to give back. Supporting your hometown high school won't cost you much, but it will go a long way to ensuring the games we love the most are here to stay. New York High School Sports. They're good for our kids, good for our community, and best of all, they're good for you. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports editor Michael Kelly. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. 
Week 10 of the NASCAR season is in the books, and the winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is Everett Warner of Florida. Everett wins a $50 grocery card. Congratulations, Everett. There was a four-way tie for the VIP winner. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will also appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is here, keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive. Stay negative. And I'm getting my second shot Monday at Crossgates. I can't wait. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Dennis Wazak Jr., Pat Leonard, and John Warrow for coming on the show. I'll have another podcast on Friday. We'll preview the final week of the high school football season with my Daily Gazette colleagues. And our horse racing writer, Mike McAdam, previews Saturday's Kentucky Derby. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.